All right. So now we are in part two of our series on foundations. We're coming out of Hebrews 6, 1 through, or verses 1 and 2, have, a couple, uh, have six foundations listed. Come on, let's read that together. Actually, let's read the first three verses. It says this, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Now, right there in those first two verses, you've got six foundations. I've got them listed right here. Just the foundation of repentance, which we talked a little bit about that last week. We're going to go a little bit more detail this week. And it's related to the idea of faith towards God. That's a big deal to have faith. In fact, the Bible screams at us. I mean, I can say that we're idea. The Bible's constantly calling us to return or to repent and put our faith and trust in God. You can almost say that that's almost like the mega theme of the Bible is telling us to trust God, put our faith in God. Then the idea of baptisms, and notice that it's plural. We're going to get to that and talk about several uh, things the Scripture talks about in baptisms. And then the laying on of hands, which is an important practice of the Scriptures and of the uh, church historically. Uh, the idea of resurrection. We need more idea of resurrection, what that is. We're going to come in contact with a lot of need to have our hope rooted in resurrection. Amen. And then the idea of eternal judgment. So Lord willing, over the next few weeks, we're going to get into more of those details there. Now, we've been talking about the first two foundations, which, which they're all related. Uh, this idea of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Say that with me. Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Now, we, we looked at two definitions. This is a little bit of review. Maybe add a few little more details to it. Just the idea, two thoughts on repentance. The idea of repentance is to make a decision to turn and go the other way. So that's why it's related, because in repentance, you turn from something and you turn towards God. That's the idea, faith towards God. So the idea of faith from dead works and turning towards God are, is all related. But repentance at the core of what it is, is the idea of making a decision. It's, it's rooted in the will. It's rooted in, in the mind. Uh, that idea of for you, you're going in a certain direction and you make a decision to turn and go the other way. One of the things God has given us as human beings created in His image and likeness, He's dignified us with the, the idea of choice. And it's, it's a wonderful privilege, but it has an eternal responsibility to it, doesn't it? So this idea of making a decision. The prophets often speak of the idea of repentance with this word, return. The idea of returning towards God, or returning to God. God calling His people to come back. In fact, if you just did a word study on the idea of return in your concordance, you would have a list as long as your leg of what scriptures say, especially in the prophets. They're constantly saying, return, return, return. Okay. So that's the idea of repentance. One, one idea. Another idea is this, a change of mind, which results in the changing of your life and your lifestyle. So the idea of repentance has to do in your mind. Paul talks a lot about renewing our mind or making our minds new, aligning ourselves with the kingdom of God. And it's a, it's a change of mind. You know, the, the scriptures is, is the most important book that's ever been written, without a doubt. The New Testament is, inside of that scripture, the New Testament is, contains the most important revelation a person can ever come in contact with. Let me say it this way. 
The New Testament contains the most important knowledge a person will ever acquire. It's, it's knowledge. It's what it is. It's knowledge of a whole other realm. A realm that's called the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ being its true king. It's the story of redemption unfolding through the life of Jesus Christ and, and his apostles and his church. And as you read the New Testament, there's a challenge that happens constantly. This is one reason why people don't read the Bible as much. It's, it's probably not that they just, well, there could be a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is it's so challenging to read it. If you read the New Testament, it will challenge you to the very core of your character and the very core of your being. I can promise you. It, 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 it's the kind of literature because it's inspired by God that just goes straight to your soul. And you read the teachings of Jesus and, and they're not so much inspirational like a motivational teacher as much as they are. It's, it's a whole nother way. It's a whole nother idea about life. Jesus comes with this idea. We talked about it. He says, forgive. And they say, well, what do you mean if I forgive this three times or four times? And Jesus says, no, I, I, I tell you to forgive seven times 70. And all the disciples say, huh? Really? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a whole other way to live, isn't it? I mean, we think we're doing pretty good when we forgive somebody three or four times is what Peter was saying. I mean, that's a pretty good deal, isn't it? I mean, some of, I, I sometimes have a hard time getting to three or four. And then Jesus says, no, forgive seven times 70. Now, that doesn't mean that you multiply seven times 70 and say, oh, that's 490. This is your last chance. That it, it, the idea is that you forgive until there's no need to forgive anymore. Until it's healed, or at least until you're healed. So that, that, that's what, what I'm saying about that idea, that example is that that's a whole another frame of thinking, a whole another way of living in it. So Jesus challenges us to the core and this change of mind that happens in a person. And I personally believe that the change has got to happen in your mind first. And then it changes your behavior. Because it all starts with a thought, then that, that thought processes in your mind and becomes a way of thinking. And then that way of thinking translates into your life as a way of living or a way of behaving, doesn't it? It happens. All right, so this idea of change of mind that leads us to a change of behavior. Now, here's the good news with this idea of change. If you come to God, you're not on your own. That's good news. <laughs> he does demand a lot of change out of us. He, he, he calls us to follow him and to become like him. Jesus says that a lot. The apostles say that a lot. To, to become like our master is our goal. And that's a lot of change has got to happen in me. I, I'm still on that journey of change and growing. A lot of change has to happen in me for me to become more like Jesus. And I've stumbled and I've fallen along the way. But, but that, has, that has to happen. But I'm not on my own. It's not just Ron's power. It's not just Ron's strength. Jesus talks about this one who will come alongside, called the Holy Spirit, who will come alongside and help me in this journey of change. That's good. You're not on your own. Now, here's how it works. Now, let me just spell this out. We could look at a dozen different scriptures for each one, but let me just show you how this idea of repentance works. And I'm going to kind of break it down. I don't want it to sound mechanical because it's really not mechanical or anything like that, but this is just how it kind of came out of me. You know, just one, two, three, four, five, actually. Here's, here's how it works. When a person comes to the point of changing, they, there, there's a call or a plea for you to return to God. No, Jesus said this, no man can come to the Father unless he is known. Anybody know how to finish that? Unless he is drawn by the Holy Spirit. So you can't come to God on your own. That's what people say, I'll come to God when I want to. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. You don't approach a king on your own. 
You can only come to God if he draws you and calls you. That's why it's so important when he does draw us, whether it be in the smallest of ways or whether it be in the whole transformation of our life and us coming into his kingdom and being born again. It's so important to respond because you can only come at the response of the king. So there's this call or plea for you to return to God. Now that, that may come as an inward experience in the Holy Spirit just speaking to you saying, hey, it's time. We've probably all had that experience where we just... Not even sure what needs to change. You know, sometimes when, when God talks change to you, it's kind of like you get up in the middle of the night and you're hungry and you go and open the refrigerator door and you stand there for five minutes because you can't figure out what you want to eat. You, you ever feel like that? We, we come to God like that sometimes, it seems. We, we come to God knowing there's a change. We're not even sure or maybe we're overwhelmed by what needs to happen in our life. But there's this inward call. Or it can come from an outside source like a friend or another believer or preacher or teaching, uh, uh, something of that nature. It can come from outside where somebody, maybe you're in, in a conversation and somebody says something about you coming into a relationship with Jesus. And that, that strikes you in such a way that that's like your call. It's time for you to make a change. It's a call to repent and return to covenant, return to dependence and return to trust in Christ. That's that idea of faith. Repentance from dead works, faith towards God. There's that call, and then there's the realization of your wrong. The realization of your sin. And that can be a very grievous time for a person. And again, it comes by the conviction of the Holy Spirit who points out your sin. And now there's a difference in conviction and condemnation. Conviction is the Holy Spirit drawing you to change. Condemnation is the enemy saying, you're no good. You know the difference? I, I, I liken conviction to this. Conviction to my soul is like pain to my body. If I'm on the beach and I'm walking barefooted across the sand and I step on a piece of glass, there's a signal that comes from my foot where that glass goes in my heel and the signal runs right up my leg, up my spine to my brain and says, alert, look down here right this minute. And I look down and that pain signals, if I didn't have that pain in my body, I could maybe cut something very serious and walk down the beach and I would bleed to death, you know? So that pain saves my life, actually, physically. Same thing with the pain in the soul. It's called conviction. When there's a pain in the soul, you respond to it because what, is, what the Holy Spirit is bringing to your attention is very, very serious. And it needs your attention. It needs God's attention. And we give it there. That's what conviction does. It draws us to that place of change. It first draws you to that place of what's wrong. And that's, that's a tough thing to deal with sometimes. So this realization of wrong, it, it, there's remorse in it. There's regret for the sin. And you know, there's a difference in, in regret for sin and you just hate you got busted. There's a big difference. Y'all you know, know the difference? Y'all know mamas and daddies had, had children. You know that there's a difference when your kid confesses to doing something and there's a difference when they get busted and they come in contact with you this is the idea of remorse and regret because you really know it's time to change it's a realization of wrong and then you confess your sins before god confess the idea of confess means to say the same thing it has a negative and a positive idea to it we can confess truth but in this situation, we're talking about the negative side. You confess your sins. And when you, the idea of to say the same thing, when you confess your sins to God, you know that pain you're talking about? You know that all of a sudden you know that, hey, what I've been doing is not right. That's, you feel that pain all of a sudden. 
Well, you acknowledge that that pain's there and you say, yes, Lord, I, I'm wrong right there. See, that's confession, confessing your sins. It's to admit you're wrong and you desire to be right. And confession is it's kind of a humbling thing, isn't it? It's very humbling. And it's, it's meant to. It's meant to. Sometimes confession can lead to, oh, Lord, forgive me. And it can kind of be generic. And sometimes there's some pinpoint specific things that you need to verbalize. You know, that idea. So humble yourself for God. Now, and, and, and it's kind of, I say customary, it's, it's kind of one of our practices. And I think it's, it's not just biblical, it's human. That when you are confessing your sins before God, almost, it's almost innate in us that you know that, that that almost always happens when somebody is bowed in some kind of way. You just almost kneel, you know. It's almost like it's time for you to confess and it's almost like a person will almost collapse. It's just, it's just almost natural, isn't it? It just happens. And that, why do we kneel when we confess sins? Or when, maybe even when we pray or we talk to God about these hard things. Why do we kneel? Well, that's, that's part of the humility, isn't it? That's part of you humbling yourself before God. And you do it intentionally. And then there's the idea of asking for forgiveness and mercy. So we're getting to the point to where we realize we're wrong. We're asking God, you know, we're, we're, we're confessing our sins before God. And then we ask him to forgive us and to have mercy on us. This idea of forgiveness and asking God to forgive is, is you taking control away from you. It's where you admit, you're admitting to God, you can't fix yourself. You made a mess and your mopping bucket doesn't work right here. You know, you admit you can't fix yourself. And the idea of you asking for God to forgive you and help you and have mercy is that you are acknowledging that only he can help you. Only he can help you. And forgiveness is only possible through Jesus. It's only possible through the cross. Hmm. And then the last of it, how, how, how repentance works, is you put your faith and your trust in Jesus. You put your faith and your trust that he alone paid for your sins and you ask him to forgive. It's embracing the invitation to follow him. Without a doubt. All right. So that's some of the idea of how repentance works in a person. Now, I've got a list there with you. Um, and I don't think I wrote this psalm down. Anybody want to read for me real quick? Anybody want to read? Miss Pat, you want to read for me? Go to Psalm 32, if you will. If you if you look in your notes, I've got these psalms. These are psalms of repentance right there, or songs or prayers of repentance, you could say. Uh, there's a list of what? One, four, seven, 10, 13, 14. There's 13 or 14 right here listed. Uh, this is not necessarily comprehensive. But all of these psalms kind of train us on prayers of repentance. Now, my personal favorite, it's just a little bit too lengthy to read tonight um, and get all the stuff we need to get done. Psalm 51, that's my, that's my personal favorite. That, that's, I prayed that psalm as much as probably any in the scriptures. That's, that's David's prayer of repentance after he um, confesses his sin with Bathsheba at that point in time. But it's, it's a tremendous prayer of repentance. It's a tremendous pattern to follow when you're walking through. And I recommend you learn to pray the Psalms. We'll, we'll do some teaching on that a little bit later. That uh, The Psalms are the prayer book of Israel. It's the prayer book of Jesus. You know, Jesus in his, in his uh, most grievous moments on the cross, he turned his heart to Psalm 22 and prayed it. I mean, it's, it, it was ingrained in him to pray the Psalms. I, I think it ought to be ingrained in us. 
Now, let, let's read this psalm of repentance together. Miss Pat's going to read it for us. Psalm 32. Why don't you read, I think it's the first seven verses, I think is what I want, Miss Pat. If you'll read that out real good and loud. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silent, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Oh, you see the conviction right there? Did you hear that? When I, when I held it in and I, was, I hear him trying to work it out himself, he says, my bones hurt. My bones got, it got painful. And I felt God's hand heavy upon me through all that whole season. You ever, you ever experienced that? That's conviction. Go ahead and continue. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Is that Shalom? For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with the songs of deliverance. Amen. That's, that's good. That's good. All, all the elements we just talked about, those little five things, how it works, did, did you hear them? Were you here? I acknowledge my sin before you. I ask you to forgive me. He started off the prayer, blessed is the man who is forgiven and whose transgressions are forever gone. You know, that's basically what he says. That's good. That's good. I, I just wanted you to hear that. I wish we had time to go through all of them. What we'll do one time uh, in the future, we'll talk about different psalms of uh, how, I mean, there's psalms of celebration and praise. There's psalms of repentance. There's, there's psalms with all kinds of confusion and fear and anger in them. We're going to go through and I want to teach you how to pray the psalms. I, 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 it's, it's just an extremely useful uh, uh, idea of what prayer really is okay it, it's, it'll train us a little bit now it, there's a list of some other scriptures on repentance right there in your notes just take those and use them as you would like all right now let's talk about this phrase repentance from dead works say that with me repentance from dead works that's how it's actually listed out in, in hebrews 6 verse number uh, 1 and 2 repentance from dead works now listen to this okay this this kind of gets kind of real Isaiah 64, 6 says this, But we are all like an unclean thing. Talking about us as, as humans here. And all our righteousnesses, that's, that's a word right there, all our righteousnesses, okay, are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Now, the idea of repentance from dead works. The idea of dead works in the scripture is the, is the idea of us using human effort to try to fix our problem between us and God. This breach that's between us and God. No matter if it's from you first time coming to God or there's distance between you and God. The idea of dead works is you trying to do it your way and not God's way. Okay. Isaiah helps us out a little bit right here. He says that all of our righteousnesses... <laughs> All of our, see, if we could say it like this, if you just take all the suffixes off, all of our ways of trying to make ourselves right and our relationship with God right are like filthy rags. Now, this is very graphic now. Uh, the Hebrew and the Greek are very, very graphic. The, the English, we interpret it, we, we kind of had the old English translations interpret it. They clean it all up because they don't, you know, they were kind of a proper culture, kind of like you are, right? Y'all proper, ain't you? <laughs> Not really. This is the idea. What are filthy rags? Now, this is pretty, pretty potent here now. 
all of our righteousness, all of our ways of trying to make ourselves right, in God's eyes, they're like filthy rags. You know what the filthy rags are? That's the rags that you, you deal with yourself in hygiene <laughs> in Bible days. Women would use them for their, their stuff, and they would, you get the point. You see what I'm talking about? You think about what God thinks about you trying to make all this right on your own. He said, it's, it's nasty to me. It's unclean. It, it can't work. If we weren't in a mixed company, I'd tell you what that really means. But I think you get the point. That's pretty graphic, isn't it? Now, that's the idea. That's, God says you've got to turn away from all of this idea of you trying to make it right. Because in my eyes, that is nasty. It's a stench. It's not going to work. I won't accept it. Now, go back to Ephesians 2. We were trying to get to this last week and we just ran out of time. Which we're running out of time again this week. Imagine that. Lord have mercy. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 says this. It's a beautiful passage. If, if you don't have this memorized, I, I recommend you memorize it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. That's beautiful, isn't it? We're saved by grace through faith. By God's gracious act through Jesus, and us putting faith in God, we are saved, and it's not of ourselves. It's, it's a gift. It's a pure gift. It's not of works. That's that righteousness thing. That's, because that works, they're all filthy rags, right? It's not of works that you've done. It's not of human effort, of your own personal effort. Lest anybody should boast or brag about it. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is some of my favorite parts of Scripture right here. So, it's, it's interesting. You're saved by grace through faith. It's not of works, but you are saved for good works. Did you get the connection right there? You're not saved by the good things you do, but God did save you so that you could be empowered to do good things. Does that make sense? So God's grace comes in such a transforming way that I realize that I am dead in the water with God and I am totally on His mercy he alone can save me. Jesus alone can save me. But when Jesus saves me, and I get recreated, or born again maybe is what we would say, when I get born again, then I come into a whole new lifestyle, and those good works begin to flow out of my life. And I begin to run into them. And I begin to realize. All right. So we're not saved by our works, but we're saved for good works. It's by grace through faith. Everybody say that with me. It's by grace through faith. That's important. It's by grace through faith. We could spend days on that, that phrase right there. By grace through faith. It's by God's gracious act of Jesus through our faith in him, not of ourselves. All right. Now, let me give you this. And this may be as far as we get tonight. I'm, I'm not sure. But this is, this is a beautiful story about the idea of God and how he receives us. Okay. Go, go to Luke 18, 9 through 14. It's this idea... Jesus speaks a, a, a story and talks about this idea of, of dead works, really. Okay. Also, Jesus, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Anybody know anybody like that? Never mind. <laughs> Here's the story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Okay, you see these two guys? One's a Pharisee. 
and the other a tax collector. Okay. Now, the Pharisee would be considered to be like the most religious person in, in the whole community. Okay. He was in his garb, he was in his outfit, so to speak. He was dressed for the part. The tax collector, he, he probably wasn't in rags. They, they were notably wealthy, usually. But here's something you didn't know about tax collectors. They were despised by people. I mean, you can imagine why. Because they were Jewish people. They're both going to the temple. They're both Jews. Okay, so this tax collector basically has sold out his people, works for Rome, collects taxes from the Jewish people, sends them to Rome. And here's what the Pharisees said about the tax collectors. That they have so betrayed their people and God, they work for Satan himself is what they would say. And that they could never, ever be forgiven. I got a little sermon I'll do for you a little bit later about Matthew's story. And it's kind of an illustrated thing where I kind of just talk his testimony, dress up like him and talk his testimony. But Matthew, one of the 12, was a tax collector. Jesus redeemed a tax collector, made him a forever foundation apostle for the church. It's amazing. And the, the religious people of Jesus' day said a tax collector could never, ever be saved. They can never be forgiven. They've gone too far. They crossed the point of no return. Okay? Just a little backstory there. Verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. I like the way the English worded that. He, he, he prayed, but he was really just kind of talking to himself. <laughs> but he addresses God. God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. Now, he wasn't telling a lie right there. He probably was a good man. He probably was a good upstanding guy. He wouldn't cross one of these lines that he just spoke of. Listen to what he says. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off all right, now, now back up again to the, to the, uh, the, did I get all of verse 12? I got it all, I, I think. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. What's he doing at, at, while he's praying? He, he's bragging a little bit, ain't he? He kind of, he's about to break his arm, isn't he? Y'all heard somebody say he's about to break your arm, you pat yourself on the back so hard. That's kind of what he's doing. He's in prayer and he says, God, I, I'm, I'm just so glad I'm not like that other guy that's sitting right over here praying. And I'm so glad I don't do these things. I don't even hang out with people who do those things. And I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. I fast twice a week. And to fast twice a week, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> I, 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 I don't even want to talk about that. I give tithes of all that I possess. And then the tax collector says this. The tax collector standing afar off. It's almost like he was even afraid to approach God. He would not as much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying this, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Now listen to Jesus' commentary on it. I tell you, this man, talking about the tax collector, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Listen to what he says now. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
Something had happened to the Pharisee who probably was a really good guy at one point in time in his life. Something had happened and he started trusting what he was doing instead of trusting God. And the tax collector, he just knew he wasn't right. And what did he plead for? He said, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. That's kind of stark comparison right there. Any questions, comments before we move forward in, in this? Anybody? You got some sign language for me back there? <laughs> it's a stark comparison right there, isn't it? All right, I, I think I may have a little bit of time. Y'all sure you don't have any questions? You good? Exactly. Sure. Sure. And it's not healthy to compare. It's, uh, Paul said it's not wise to compare yourself with somebody else at all. Hmm. You know, Galatians addresses this whole problem because, you know, I don't, we don't have time to get into Galatians, but the idea of Galatians is, is, is like who has bewitched you that you would start off good trusting God and now all of a sudden you're, you're going to be good by your, you're going to be trusting in your own works kind of thing. That's the problem with Galatians. Uh, the Bible addresses that a lot. Okay. Now, our work's important. But, but listen, as a believer, we don't do our good works to get into God's favor. We do our works as a point of worship because we are in his favor. Does that make sense to you? That's a real big... So what you're dealing with in that deal, when, when, whenever we do... Is it, is it good to fast? Is it good to go to the temple and pray? Is it good to go to church and pray? Is it good to pay your tithes? Is that all those good things? Those were all good things. But something had happened in this man's heart from what the story Jesus tells. That something had happened in his heart to where God said, That's the, I don't even receive none of that anymore. So in, in us doing good works, it's not just that we do the right things. I think I said this with Jonah. It's that we do the right things with the right heart, you know? Isn't that important? Y'all sure you good? I feel like some questions are flying around in your heads or some comments. Y'all good? Because we're fixing to move to something else now. I'm looking at you. You good? Okay, all right, that's good. All right, well, let's, let's go through this real briefly and we'll, we'll wrap it up. The idea of repentance or the idea of returning to God the best return story, in my opinion, the best return story in all of the Bible and ever come out of the mouth of Jesus is Luke 15. Luke 15 is what we traditionally call the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. Now, for me, whenever I'm talking to somebody about coming back to God, this is like my go-to story. You know, I, I recommend you go through this. We did some teaching on the prodigal son, what, months ago, didn't we? It was almost a year. You know, we've all been here a year almost. It's B.C. before Corona. It's B.C. days. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, we, we, we did some study on that, called it the comeback, I believe, is what we called it. So this, this story is really, really dear to me, and it's my go-to story. It's kind of my story, period. But listen to what Jesus says about this. 15, we're going to pick it up in verse 11. It says, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So the father divided to them the sons, his livelihood. Verse 13. 
And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. That's where we get the idea of the prodigal son. Prodigal just simply means wasteful. It's wasteful living. He just wasted it all. Easy come, guess what? Easy go, that's what happened to him. He just wasted it all. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. So now you got this good little Jewish boy. Now, what's he doing? He's feeding the pigs. He's hit the bottom. It's, it's, it's the worst that he could be in. And he's working for a Gentile. Another thing you, they always said to, the rabbis always said, if you lose your family's wealth to a Gentile, you can't come back. That's kind of what he does. Verse 16. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, just garbage basically. No one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he's beginning to feel this pull, this draw to return. He's beginning to hear this call and this plea. And really, all he remembers is his father's kindness. That's what draws him back. I believe one prophet said that. It's the goodness of God that draws us to repentance. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, he starts his speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. What was the other part that he was going to say? You remember that? Make me as one of your hired servants. And it's almost as if the father interrupted him from all that dead work stuff. The father interrupted him from trying to work it out on his own. And he steps right into his conversation because all the father needed to hear was, I have sinned. That's all he wanted to hear. There's no recollection of a list of sins. There's no, I mean, he could probably look at the boy and tell he was in bad shape. He'd lost everything he had. He was probably, he'd been living with pigs. What do you think he looked like? What do you think he smelled like? It wasn't good. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. They throw the party. <laughs> I would like to spend six or eight hours on that. I can promise you. I think we did. We spent six or eight lessons on just kind of breaking all this down. It's an amazing story. But that's, 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 that's a repentance story right there. That's somebody returning back to God. Was it like he thought? No. Guess what? <laughs> a lot better than he thought, wasn't it? He was just going to work off the debt, which that's kind of what they did in their culture. That's kind of what would happen in our culture sometimes too. You got to pay this back and get this back. Let's get you back in good standing. But the father forgave, moved on, gave him his ring, gave him his robe, gave him his sandals, gave him a party. That's, that's, that's what it's like to return back to this father. But you got to let go, according to what we're talking about, this idea. 
You got to let go of those dead works. You can't work it out yourself now. I hear him. I hear him walking back home. Trying to figure out the scenario. Trying to figure out what he's going to say. Trying to figure out how he's going to pay it all back. How long. He's calculating how much he owes. You know how he's working it all out in his head. But when the father got there, it's forgiven. See what I'm talking about? So there's this idea. Repentance. To make a decision. Turn and go the other way. And to change your mind and return back to God. Repentance. We're going to leave this foundation right here. There's a lot more we could say. Uh, there's, we gave you all those scriptures. You can go do some of your own personal study with all that. Uh, just following through some of those scriptures there. Some of those personal prayers and things. Um, you can go read some of the prophets. The prophets are constantly. That's, that's, one, time, that's one reason why it's so laborious to talk. Because they're, they're talking about drawing the people back to God. And it's, it's, they list their sins. It's, it's very graphic sometimes. But this idea, you, you get the studies of the prophets. Return to God. Come back to God. And this foundation stone of repentance has to be set. Because the truth is, you can't really come into the kingdom of God without repentance. You can't do it. There's no other way. It doesn't have to be emotional, but it does have to be a decision. Yeah? Repentance from dead works. You can't work it out yourself. Turn your faith towards God. We're going to get into more of the faith towards God. What does that look like? Because Jesus talks a lot about faith. Jesus admires a few people who show faith. We're going to look at some of that next week. All right? Faith towards God. Before we, before we pray, before we go on, any questions or comments? Before we go. Have that foundation stone. Now, I think we ended last week talking about, just in, in closing and passing, that repentance kind of becomes a way of life. It's, it's, it's a way into the kingdom. It's the way into the kingdom. But it also becomes a way of life for a believer. Because when God challenges us on things, which is constant, changing our thoughts, our minds, our behaviors, how we deal with people, how we handle our money, how we do this and that and the other, God's always on us about that. And I'm not, I don't mean on us like it's a negative. He's trying to help us live life like a real human is supposed to live. When he's on us about that, you, you've got choices. Are you going to hold on to the old dead work or are you going to let go of it, repent and change? That's a constant in the Christian life. All right. Come on, let's pray and, ask, and, and, and let's thank God for his help. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness in our life. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the gift of your grace that enables us to be able to repent. We thank you, Jesus, for everything you provided for us. You, you made the way by becoming the way. We thank you for that. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And you are the way that we come back to the Father. We thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. And I, I pray for all of us, Lord, that you would help us to renew our mind. Maybe there's things that we need to let go of, uh, things we need to get renewed in. Uh, maybe we need to learn to do some of the right things with the right heart and do it with the right motivation. We, we thank you for your help there, Lord. We, we need your Holy Spirit to help us, to help us, to teach us, to train us so we can become more like you, Lord. Help us. Help us to let go of the past, walk right into our brand new future, whatever that may look like. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.